podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 21st of December. It is almost Christmas. Are you excited? Neither am I. Football's back. Um, I have to watch Liverpool again. But last night we did have the return of domestic English football with the EFL Cup. Wolverhampton Wanderers 2, Gillingham nil. A fairly turgid game of football which Wolves dominated as expected, Gillingham being literally the team bottom of the football league. It took until 77 minutes for Wolves to find an opening when Raul Jimenez scored a penalty and Ray Nuri made it two 
in stoppage time. This was obviously the first game with Julian Lopetegui in charge. And he went with, I think, a fairly expected group of players. Jose Sa, Semedo, Collins, Kilman. He picked Bueno at left back. That's got to change. Nuri needs to be in that team. He went with Joe Hodge in midfield, along with Ruben Neves and Joe Matinho. Nunes needs to be back in the team. That's all I'm going to say regarding that. And he went Guedes, Costa and Pedence in attack. And we know Neto will come back into that team. So it's probably three short of what his best 11 is right now if he wants to play 4-3-3 because of the injuries. It's probably too short because Neto is obviously injured. Uh, Sasa will come back in when he's fit as well. So Look, it's a start. It, it was an expected win. You can't really take too much out of it. But at least it gets his era up and running with a victory. Southampton 2, Lincoln 1. Gavin Basunu put through his own net on two minutes. But Che Adams on 25 and 74 gave Saints a much-needed win. A, a win that will hopefully give them some confidence so that when they start up the Premier League campaign again, they can start to get some points on the board. Newcastle won, Bournemouth won. The Toon dominated the game with the better team, but it took an Adam Smith own goal on 67 to send them through. And then the final game, MK Dons versus Leicester. Yuri Thielemans, Aosi Perez and Jamie Vardy with the goal. This was a very one-sided game. Leicester were comfortably the better team. As you would expect, considering they picked Probably their best available 11, bar the goalkeeper, because there's no way Daniel Iverson is worse than Danny Ward. That is their best available 11. Oh, well, Wilf and Didi is back and fit again, but they need to bring him back slowly because Rodgers has rushed him back a couple of times in the past and it's caused him to re-injure himself. So giving Samari the start was probably the right move there. Tonight, we have three more games. We get Charlton versus Brighton. So Charlton currently sit 18th in League One. They sacked manager Ben Garner on the 5th of December. They've appointed Dean Holden to be their new manager. Now, Dean Holden has only ever had one job on a permanent basis, which was Bristol. I believe he was caretaker manager at Oldham back in like 2015. It didn't go well. He did okay at Bristol, but not great. And he was sacked after less than a season. He was caretaker manager at Stoke earlier this year for one game when they decided to change manager right at the beginning of the year. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about this appointment. It seems like a bit of a strange one. But we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see what they can come up with. Uh, This is a game Brighton should win. Brighton sits 7th in the Premier League. And obviously, they changed manager as well because Chelsea came and stole Graham Potter. But under the Zerbi, they seem to have started to get things going in the right direction. Disappointing loss in their last game pre-World Cup to Aston Villa. But they had hammered Chelsea and had a good come-from-behind win over Wolves in the two games before that. Brighton have knocked out Forest Green Rovers 3 0. 
and Arsenal 3-1 in this competition. Whereas Charlton knocked out QPR on penalties, beat Walsall 1-0, and then knocked out Stevenage on penalties as well after a 1-1 draw. This is a big step up for Charlton. It's a big opportunity, though, because they're getting a Premier League team to the Valley. It should be a decent crowd. It's a great stadium. The Valley, if you've never been to the Valley, it is a great stadium to go to. And uh, it should be a good game of football. I would expect a Brighton win. I'd be surprised with anything else. But, you know, they will be without a couple of players. Obviously, Alexis McAllister won't be there having just won the World Cup and probably still being upside down drunk somewhere in Argentina. But you would still expect Brighton to have more than enough to overcome this Charlton team. Uh, Moving on then, the next game up is Blackburn Rovers, currently sitting second in the championship, versus Nottingham Forest, who are 18th in the Premier League. Forest got here by beating Grimsby 3-0 and Tottenham 2-0, whereas Blackburn, going very, very well this year, they... Beat Hartlepool 4-0, beat Bradford away 2-1, and then knocked out West Ham on penalties at West Ham Stadium. Came from behind to get a late equaliser through Ben Ben Brearton-Diaz. We went all the way through to the last outfield player. Garrett scored, Ogbonna missed, and Blackburn go through. Blackburn will fancy their chances in this game, despite the fact that they're in a lower division. They will fancy their chances. Now, this game only ends in a win for one or the other team because Blackburn don't do draws. They just don't. 23 championship games this season. 13 13 wins, 10 defeats. 27 goals scored, 26 conceded. They're mental. Nothing they do really makes all that much sense. But they are playing good football. That's the one thing we can say about them. Jean-Dal Thomason has them playing good football. And there's some good players in that team. I really like Harry Pickering, the young left back. Uh, Clinton Mola, who's in on loan from Stuttgart. He hasn't featured a huge amount, but he's a good player as well. Tyler Morton is in from Liverpool on loan. He's having a very, very good season. And obviously, Ben Brayton Diaz is the, the star turn of the team, Chilean international. The other player I do quite like the look of, and I've only seen him a couple of times because I don't watch a ton of Blackburn, is Sammy Smodix, who's having a pretty good season from what I can make out. He was with Peterborough, and I do remember him being quite impressive with Peterborough. So, interested to see him tonight and see how he does. In the League One campaign, when Peterborough got promoted, he was probably the best player in League One that year. Had a decent season in the Championship for them last year. And he seems to have started quite well for Blackburn. So we'll see how he does tonight. That should be a fun game. I I think that's the best game of the night. The final game then is Manchester United, currently fifth in the Premier League against Burnley, who are top of the Championship. And Vincent Company has done an unbelievably good job since taking over. Now, to get to this round, United knocked out Aston Villa 4-2. They had just lost to Aston Villa in the league a couple of days beforehand. 
So I think they probably would have preferred the league points than carrying on in the League Cup. But such is life. For Burnley, they knocked out Shrewsbury and then Crawley Town. So this is a big step up for them. It's a lot of familiar names if you haven't been paying attention to Burnley this year. Like Charlie Taylor is still nominally the first choice left back. Jack Cork is still starting a lot in midfield. Johan Berg-Goodmundson is still playing quite a bit. Josh Brownhill is a regular. Jay Rodriguez is a regular. Ashley Barnes is still involved. Connor Roberts is still the first choice right back. But there's a lot of new names here and a lot of exciting players in this Burnley team that I think make them worth a watch. Manuel Benson's having a great season from them. Anna Zaruri, who was, as Guy pointed out, in the Moroccan squad. So Burnley had somebody who went further in the World Cup than Manchester United, which is just great. Um, there's a lot of good players in this squad. Scott Twine hasn't played a lot because of injury. He's one I'm looking forward to seeing play for them. Josh Cullen, really, really good midfielder who they brought back from Anderlecht. Uh, Samuel Bastian's had moments. It's just a good squad that they've built very, very quickly in quite short order, obviously. Um, one name to keep an eye out if you're Irish is Dara Costello, formerly of Galway United, who joined Burnley in 2021 but didn't play at all. And he has played six times so far this season, including twice in the Cup. So he might get some some opportunity. Another one is Luke McNally, young centre-back from just out the road, well, out the road from where I'm, I'm from, in Enfield. Um, they brought him in to replace Nathan Collins. He hasn't established himself yet, but I do think he's one to keep an eye on for the national team as well. I think he's got a bright future. He's 23, but he was a bit of a late starter. He didn't move to England till he was 22. Uh, played one season with Oxford. He'd been with St. Patrick's, Athletic, St. Patrick's, St. Patrick's Athletic and spent a season on loan at Drogheda. Um, big, big lad, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, so those are tonight's games. United-Burnley. Blackburn against Forrest and Charlton-Brighton. I think they should be pretty good. I think they're a more interesting group of games than last night's games. I think there's more parity in tonight's games, even though there's no games in the same division. I think Burnley are going so well and they're playing with such confidence that they can go into this game knowing it's a completely free hit and give United a bit of a game. Blackburn might be in the championship, but they're second, whereas Forrest are third bottom in the Premier League. And then obviously the, the one with the bit of disparity is the uh, the Charlton-Brighton game. But you can skip that one if you need to. Um, right. What we're going to do, one player from each Premier League team that the Premier League team that has that player needs them to step up and perform if they are going to reach their goals this season or carry on the same level of form that they had in the first part of the season. A player who hasn't yet played to quite the level expected. So for Arsenal, it has to be Eddie Nketiah. Because with Gabriel Jesus injured, that's a big void now at number nine. And we don't know how long Jesus will be out for. Arsenal have been, I would say, quite secretive about the extent of the injury. 
And Enketia did not have a good first half of the season and came in for quite a lot of criticism. He obviously signed a big contract back in the summer when his previous contract had expired. Arsenal were desperate to keep him and they paid well over the odds for him. But now he has to start producing. He asked for that money. Now, it's not his fault they gave it to him, but he has to start producing. For Aston Villa, I mean, the goal is top half. And I think the best way for them to get top half is to become very, very solid defensively. And for me, the player that needs to step up is Ezri Konza. He's the best centre-back at the club. And two years ago, he was one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League. Probably the best English centre-back in the Premier League. But he has dropped off from that level. Now, a big part of that is playing next to Tyron Mings week in, week out, which is going to drag down your level no matter who you are. But Konza really needs to take a step forward now. We've just finished the World Cup. The next one is in three and a half years. And his goal needs to be to be on that plane to that World Cup. And he needs to start working towards that right now. He's probably not going to be involved in the Euros because I would imagine Southgate is largely going to pick from the same pool of players he has picked from for the last Euros and this World Cup. But that World Cup is a possibility because in all likelihood, Southgate is gone after the Euros. So Ezri Konza needs to step up, get back to his best level, help solidify that Villa backline. You know Unai Emery is going to want a really strong backline. And he won't be afraid to replace you if he doesn't think you're going to do the job. So Konza's got to step back up and show what he's capable of. For Bournemouth, it is just about staying up. And for me, the player I think can make a big difference in that is Jefferson Lerma, who I don't think had a particularly good first half of the season. Now, I wouldn't blame him for that. I would say it's largely down to the fact that he was being used in an abundance of positions. He played centre-back in a two, in a three, played in midfield, played as a a sitter, as a box-to-box player. Let him be your sitting midfielder and build out from there, and you'll get the best of him. He's a good player. He's a little bit prone to yellow cards, but he's a good player. And again, for Burnley, for for Bournemouth, if they want to stay up, they're going to have to stop shipping goals. They've been better under Gary O'Neill, obviously, but they need to stop shipping goals, and having a solid defensive midfielder in front of your back line can do that. The other player I'd mention here is Lloyd Kelly, but it's more because he missed pretty much the entire first half of the season through injury. They need him back. They need him in the team. Uh, for Brentford, I feel like it's Brian and Bomo because we don't yet know what's going to happen with Ivan Tony, but he might have a long suspension coming. And if that's the case, then Brian and Bomo really needs to step up and really needs to start scoring more goals. He's too hit and miss right now, and Brighton need him to be more consistent. Uh, Brentford need him to be more consistent. Speaking of Brighton, they're up next. For them, mid-table is success. I think the player that they want to step forward, that they want to take a big leap, is a player they don't actually own, but he's there on loan in Levi Colwell. 
And the thing is for him, if he can make a good case to them that he can be the defender people think he can be, they probably will buy him in the summer. I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little wink-wink, nudge-nudge deal between Brighton and Chelsea that Brighton can buy him at a set price, even if it's not publicly known. Because after Cucurella came the Potter deal, came Brighton go, or Chelsea going back and stealing at least one member of Brighton's recruitment team, possibly two. And I think Brighton have probably at some point said to Chelsea, right, we need something out of this. We don't just want money. We need something else. So it wouldn't surprise me if they've gotten some sort of deal where they can pick up Caldwell at a good price in the summer. But he needs to earn that move. And when he gets opportunities, he needs to play to his best level. And if he does, he can become a starter. No question. No question he can become a starter there. He's excellent. Or has the potential to be anyway. For Chelsea, it's Raheem Sterling. He started off well, but he really has dropped off quite badly. Now, there's a couple of candidates here. Koulibaly would be one. I think Mason Mount could really do with stepping up. But I think Raheem Sterling, because Chelsea don't have... I mean, I know they've got Aubameyang, but like Jesus wept, he's, he's at least two years past his best. I think Raheem Sterling, with the absence of Brohia, they're going to need more goals. And they've got less bodies. And I think Sterling needs to be the one that steps up and starts showing what he can really do. We know he's a great player. He's been a great player for a long time. He needs to show it for Chelsea on a consistent basis because they have to get top four. They have to get top four. Crystal Palace, it's Michael Olise. Now, he's dealt with some injuries this season. He hasn't shown his best level consistently, but he has had a couple of match-winning moments. Palace need that more often. I think Palace ideally would like to finish in the top half this season. Having seen Brighton do it last year, who are their biggest rivals, I think Palace will be looking at it and think, that can be realistic for us. So I'd like to see Palace give Olise more... Just give him the keys. Give him the keys. Run your team through Jimenez, have Wilf as like that third creator, but mostly playing as a final third player. Allow Elise and Eze to be the ones that run the game for you. And I genuinely think you'll have great success. For Everton, it's Anthony Gordon. He's had a really poor first half of the season. He's... I've said before, I think he's very limited. I think he's got great pace. But a lower technical level than players who get as much attention as him normally do have. And with Everton, like the, the risk of relegation here is is huge. And it's very, very real. And for all the claims that Frank Lampard is building something, no, he's not. He hasn't built anything. He doesn't get you. He couldn't be more different to you if he was reborn and grew up as a king he couldn't be more different he just couldn't so no he doesn't get you he doesn't care he's just there for the money your players are going to save you this season not Frank Lampard and the player that can do the most for that is 
Anthony Gordon, both in terms of scoring goals, but also in terms of creating chances for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Now, Calvert-Lewin will be another contender here, but he's had a lot of injury issues and he doesn't get any supply. It's very hard for a target man type number nine to score goals when there's no supply because he doesn't have the type of game where he can drop out into midfield, pick the ball up and beat a couple of men. That's not his game. He he gets it, he gives it, he turns, he runs, he gets in the box and he attacks the ball. Get the ball into the box to him. There's a bunch of Everton players. You could basically have named, I could basically have named everybody. Fulham are funny because everybody's played well, with one exception. They haven't had a good right back this season. So the aim for Fulham is purely to stay up. Nothing else matters. They've just got to stay up. So I'm going to split this one between Kenny Tete and Kevin Mbappu. One of them, one of them needs to step up this second half of the season and lock down that right-back spot and make them more solid in defence. They've been all right defensively, but they need to not have a glaring weak point. And right now they have a glaring weak point at right-back. For Leeds, it's Liam Cooper. Because he's going to play because he's club captain and he's not a Premier League caliber player. He's very much a championship player. And for Leeds to stay in the division, they need to stop leaking goals. You can only score so many goals when you're Leeds. Like you don't have Salah, Kane, Messi. You don't have those type of players. You need to stop leaking goals. And Liam Cooper is is the big weak link in that defense because... Christensen's very good. Cock and Lorente are very good. And I've really liked Streak at left back this year. The goalkeeper is a bit of a question mark because he's so young, he makes a lot of errors. But if Liam Cooper just did his job, he would have less, to, the keeper would have less to do. So Liam Cooper is the one there. Um, for Leicester City, I'm going to say Pats and Daka because I feel like Vardy can be good in one-off games, but at this point in his career, he can't do it week after week after week. Ian Acho's never been able to do it week after week after week. And I feel like Daka is the one who can potentially make that number nine spot his own and score regularly. And he's 24 now. So he's got to start doing it soon. It was all well and good doing it for Red Bull Salzburg. But you're yet to show at Leicester that you can consistently score goals and that you can consistently win them matches. That's got to be the aim for him for the second half of the season. Um, do you know what? We'll take our break here. When we come back, we'll run through Liverpool through to Wolves. So we'll just take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll do the rest. See you in a sec.
Right, welcome back. So, we are on to Liverpool. Me and Guy were talking before we went live. This is Guy's idea to do this. And we said the whole Liverpool team, bar Alisson, Kanate, and probably Thiago, the whole lot of them need to step up and be better. But the one who really needs to step up is Virgil van Dijk. Because the form he showed before the World Cup was so far below the level he's capable of, it was quite jaw-dropping at times. Now, there's others, Fabinho. But I would put his issues down to the fact that he's been overplayed. Trent, I don't know what's going on with him, but he needs to come back motivated. But Virgil is the key to this whole team. If Virgil is at his best level, this team is an automatic top four. That's the difference he makes. So... I would say he's the one that needs to step up. For Man City, I think it's Ruben Diaz. I think he's had a really poor season so far. For the level that he has set for himself, I think he's been really poor. And I think they need him to step up because that defense needs to get more ruthless. They've got a good defensive record. Of course they do because they have so much of the ball. But in the games where they've dropped points, Diaz has been a little bit of an issue. So I think Diaz needs to step up. For Manchester United, it's Jadon Sancho because he's a £73 million winger who right now is training away from the first team, which is a concern. Sancho, when United bought him, was one of the most highly rated players in the world. And now he's just missed out on the England squad He had a dreadful season last year. He's not had a good season this year. He had a good probably six weeks. And then it fell apart again. Now, I don't think United as a team set up to get the very best out of Sancho because they don't have the type of attacking fullbacks that he thrives with. But when he played with Malashia, he did look a lot happier and a lot more comfortable because Malashia has that pace to overlap. When Luke Shaw overlaps, it's a bit like a freight train because he's big and he's powerful. He's not the quickest and he's very much a straight line runner. And Shaw tends to be the type who wants to get the ball and fling it across. Whereas Sancho wants somebody who'll give it to him, go for the the flick through and then cut it back to him again so he can generate a little bit of space. When he, once he gets that little bit of space and he gets isolation on one fullback, that's where Sancho can have a lot of success. When Shaw plays the tracking midfielder or tracking winger gets back and doesn't doesn't really get close to Luke Shaw because you know Luke Shaw is not going to try and beat you or score a goal. He's going to try and cross the ball. So that winger will cheat in with the fullback and double-team Sancho, and Sancho gets no space. So United need to change their approach a little bit, but Sancho really needs to start doing more. If If what you do best isn't working, try something else. United need him to be very good across the second half of the season if they're going to get top four. Because if he's not, I don't think they have a chance. Newcastle, I mean, sustaining what they've done in the first half of the season is going to be near impossible. But the player I think needs to step up is Alan St. Maximum. Now, he's had some good games. He's had injuries. And it's it's always hard to criticise a player when they've had injuries but I do think he needs to make more of an impact when he plays. He's had some good games, but he's had some real stinkers 
where he's just not involved. And with Almiron in the form of his life, with Wilson playing well, with Isak to come back whenever that happens, they've got the right side in the middle sorted out for the short term. That left-sided role is his, and he needs to step up. For Nottingham Forest, it's Jesse Lingard. Now, I said when I did my kind of Forest review of the season so far that I wouldn't play him anymore, but they are paying him substantial wages. And after I did that, I had a Forest fan get in touch and say that he thought Lingard had been quite good in the, the, the two games, the two or three games preceding the World Cup break. So I went back and watched him, and he is right. Lingard was good in the last couple of games um, against, was it Tottenham and Palace, I think it was. Uh, he did play quite well. They need more of that, though. Like, they can't have Jesse Lingard being a passenger. If he's not going to impact the game on the ball, he needs to impact the game off the ball. He's got a great ability to cover ground. He's got good instincts in terms of tracking runners. He's diligent in his defensive work. He needs to be doing that, or at least he was before he got to Forest. And we haven't seen it as much at Forest, but he needs to be better in that regard. I just want to check and make sure it was those two games. Yeah, it was Crystal Palace and it was the Tottenham Cup game. Yeah, he scored in the Tottenham Cup game, played as the 10. And in the Arts, in the Palace game, he played off the left. Um, but he needs to, yeah, we need to get more out of Lingard. That's, that's the be all and end all. The other one is Emmanuel Dennis because he has had a rotten first half of the season. Part of that is Steve Cook, uh, Cooper's fault because he hasn't played him consistently. And Dennis is a rhythm player. He needs a run of games. So those are the two. Dennis, because they paid big money for him and he's been pretty dreadful. Lingard, because he was a big coup for them to get him. He's a bigger name than talent, but he was a big coup to get him because he looked like he was going to West Ham. Um, And they're paying him big wages. So, yeah, we need to see more from Jesse Lingard. Southampton, I think it's James Ward-Prowse. I really do. As the captain and leader of this team, they need more out of him. And I I don't mean goals and assists because I know he's got, he's got a goal in the Premier League this season. He's got a few assists. I'm talking about impacting the game in ways other than set pieces or crosses. I'm talking about in general play. They need him to have a bigger impact because he's going to be partnered with an 18-year-old in Lavia who needs that kind of guidance. They've got young centre-backs, young full-backs, a young goalkeeper. They need Ward-Prowse to really step up big time in the second half of the season. For Tottenham, I would say it's young men's son. I think he's had a poor season to date. Didn't have a great World Cup. Had some moments in the World Cup, but wasn't great. He is an outstanding player. He's one of the six or seven best players in the league. I Probably top five at his very best. And Spurs want top four. They need him to be that player. They need him and Kane at their best. They need Kulisevsky fit. If those three things happen, Kane carries on how he's been playing this season, which... I think has been a very high level. If Kulisevsky stays fit and Son finds his best level, I 
genuinely think they'll get top four very comfortably because that's a great front three. But if Sun's not playing well and Kulosevsky's not in the team, there's no one to link midfield and attack, and that's where they'll fall apart. For West Ham, it's Declan Rice. It's Declan Rice. You're going to sit at the World Cup and you're going to talk about wanting to play Champions League and you're going to edge towards a move and you're going to be the big I am and talk about how you've been playing at a really high level for a couple of years. You have been largely crap this season. I'm sorry. You have. Your team sits 16th and you're the captain. You're the leader. You're the one people are praising for leadership. Those people don't watch West Ham. Because when I watch West Ham, there's no leadership in that team. And when I see West Ham fans talking on social media, they talk about how much the team misses Mark Noble. Now, Mark Noble wasn't a good player for the last two years of his contract. But what he was was a leader. And West Ham need Declan Rice to step up massively as a leader and as a player. Don't just turn it on when the cameras are there. Don't just turn it on for the last 20 minutes when your team have already lost the game. Step up and do it for 90 minutes, game in, game out. And then maybe you'll be a £70 million player rather than what you are now, which is a £50 million player. You're certainly not a £100 million player, nor will you be a £100 million player. For Wolves, it's got to be one of the Fords. I think it's Guedes. I think it's Guedes. He hasn't... He's a very talented player who's had an odd career. He looked he looked a star when he broke through at Benfica. He went to PSG far too early in his career. It didn't work at all. He went to Valencia, and it was quite up and down. His last season was excellent, and that's what Wolves bought him on the strength of. But one goal so far is not an acceptable return for the price tag that Wolves paid, nearly $28 million. He's got all the talent in the world. All the talent in the world. He needs to produce far more regularly. They need help in that final third, and he's going to be the one. He's got to be the one that produces it. Uh, speaking of Wolves, it looks like Matthias Cunha is on his way, alone with an obligation to buy for a fee of around $35 million, including add-ons. This is a very talented footballer. Now, he's not necessarily a great goal scorer, but I think I think he can be the type of player that gets you 15 Premier League goals a season. From a profile point of view, he reminds me a lot of Roberto Firmino. And I think that could be the best way to use him. If you play him as the nine, with Neto and Guedes inverted either side of him, I think that's something that can work. Now, when Sasa comes back, I think he can play off Sasa as a you know one-up, one-off type of, of front two. He's only 23. He has bounced around a bit. He was at he was brought from Brazil very early to Sion in Switzerland. Had one season there, 10 in 32. He was only a kid at the time, 18. Uh, went to RB Leipzig, had a good first season, scored, 39, scored 9 in 39, 
Uh, six and 12 in Europe, which was quite good. Not a great domestic campaign, only three goals in 27 games, but very good in Europe. Second half of the season, he struggled. Hertha Berlin brought him in. He started quite well, 5 and 11. And then the goals dropped off, 8 in 28. Then he moves on to Atleti, 7 and 37. None, no goals in 17 this year. Now, he hasn't fit well at Atleti. And that's not his fault. It's Simeone's fault. It really is. It's Simeone's fault. Like with Joe Felix, it is Diego Simeone's fault that he hasn't adapted to these really talented young front players. But I think Cunha could be a great signing for Wolves. And I think that front three, if he plays as a false nine type and Guedes plays off the left and Neto off the right, those two can get goals. And that could be a front three that clicks and fires Wolves to a mid-table finish. And if all, you know, if when Sasa comes back, you can look at a midfield four and two up front. You could also just look at having Sasa as an option off the bench because he could come on for any of that front three and Cunha could drop into a wide area if need be. Very versatile, very exciting player. I think it's a good move, but Wolves need him to hit the ground running. Um, Ivan Tony has been charged with 30 further breaches of the betting rules. So that brings the total to 262 breaches. He faces a lengthy ban if they are proven. Uh, England defender Kieran Trippier was banned for 10 weeks by the FA in December of 2020 for giving out information for others to bet on his transfer from uh, Tottenham to Atletico Madrid. Daniel Sturridge was banned for telling friends to bet on him going to Inter Milan, a deal that didn't actually didn't actually go through. Uh, Joey Barton was banned to banned for eighteen months, reduced to thirteen on appeal after admitting he placed one thousand two hundred and sixty football related bets over a ten year period. Now, I'm assuming each breach is a bet. So if that's 262 bets, that's about one-fifth-ish of what um, what Barton had done. So does he get one-fifth of, of the ban? Does he get four months, three months, six months? Who knows? It's It's unfortunate because he was in great form as well. He really was in great form. Barton never played again. It was the end of Joey Barton's career, but Barton was at that point 35. Ivan Tony is 26. I'm convinced he missed out on the England squad because of this. It can't have been based on form. He was, after Kane, the most informing England striker. I hope it's not too long of a ban. It'll be a hammer blow. For Brentford, though, um, the the scenes in Argentina I have to hit back on them again. Jesus, they're unbelievable. Uh, the bus parade had to be abandoned, and they had to go on a helicopter ride because the roads were just packed. It was absolute chaos. 
they estimated that over 5 million people came out for the parade, which is, is just insane. So it shows what this means to the people of Argentina. It's very, very cool to see. Um, we'll finish up with the gossip and we'll be out of here for today. Saudi Arabia club Al Nazir expect Cristiano to complete his move there by the end of the year. The former Manchester United player will sign a two and a half year contract worth 200 million euro. Now, is that 200 million euro overall or 200 million euro just for, per season? Because initially it was announced as per season. I have a tough time believing that anyone would pay him that. Um, but away he goes to be completely irrelevant in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Arsenal and Brazil forward Gabriel Martinelli is set to sign a new deal with the club worth 200 grand a week. That is an absolute outrage. Uh, how are you giving a 21-year-old that type of money who's done so little? He's a very, very talented player. He really is a very, very talented player. But I'm sorry, he's played 104 games for the club and scored 23 goals. You signed him for six million. I would imagine on quite low wages, probably 10, 15 grand a week. How would you give him 200 grand a week? What's he going to want at 24, at 27? He's going to be on 400 grand a week. That's completely unsustainable. Mohamed Salah joined Liverpool, broke the Premier League goal-scoring record, and won a Champions League before he got 200 grand a week. And he was 27 or so. That's very silly. Very, very silly by Arsenal. Real Madrid believe they have beaten the likes of Liverpool and Juve. No, they don't. Crap. Uh, French champions Paris Saint-Germain want to tie Lionel Messi to the club in the next few days. Not sure he'll appreciate being tied to the club. Maybe give him a contract and some flowers. Man's just won a World Cup. He doesn't need your club. Um, Brighton's Argentine World Cup winning midfielder Alexis McAllister is being targeted by Arsenal and Atletico Madrid. And I would imagine by absolutely everybody else as well. He's a very, 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 very good player. Manchester United will have to pay Porto goalkeeper Diogo Costa's 65 million pound release clause if they want to sign him at the end of the season he has improved he has improved over the last year or so but that fee is ludicrous Croatian defender Josko Gvardiol is likely to stay at Red Bull Leipzig or RB Leipzig next summer with a 110 million euro release clause to become active in his contract in 2024 that's a mental figure. That's a world record fee for a defender. My money still is on him ending up at Real Madrid. Arsenal have shown interest in Michael Mudrik. According to the sporting director of the club, everybody knows that. They've, they've basically held out a flag for him. Tottenham's attempts to tie down Antonio Conte before the Premier League resumes Looks set to fail, despite offering the manager a one million a year pay rise. Interesting. Atletico Madrid are working to find a solution to keep Brazil centre back Felipe, 
after Wolves made a first approach for him. He's not very good, so I don't know why anyone would want, would want to buy him or keep him. Arsenal are prepared to wait a year to sign Yuri Tielemans. Well, they wouldn't have to wait a year. They'd have to wait six months. That's That makes no sense. Football, in, oh, football London. I, I, either the article's been misquoted or the article doesn't make sense. My money would be the article's been misquoted. I'm guessing Arsenal are prepared to wait till the summer to sign him. And the risk would be that someone else would jump in in January and get him on a pre-contract, someone from abroad. Newcastle boss Eddie Howe has cooled talk of the club buying Enzo Fernandez. There's absolutely no chance Enzo Fernandez would go to Newcastle. I'm sorry. He's not going to a team that aren't in Europe and will be in the Europa League next season. At best, the Europa League next season. Mexico goalkeeper... Guillermo Achea is set to sign for Salernitana in Italy after his contract at Club America expired. That's an interesting one. He only really shows himself as a good goalkeeper at World Cups. Uh, Otherwise, he tends to be questionable. Uh, this This is not a bad move, though. There's a decent squad there at Salernitana. Where are they in the league? 12th. They're sitting in the mid-table. Yeah. Inter Milan have opened talks with Alessandro Bastoni over a new deal with Manchester City and Tottenham interested in the 23-year-old. I think he stays there for a long time. Rodrigo de Paul was close to joining Leeds from Udinese before moving to uh, Atletico Madrid. Who's reporting that? I mean, it's talk sport. It's somebody called Natasha Everett. Okay, apparently he said he once wanted to join. I don't remember him being linked, but maybe. Maybe he was. Maybe I've talked about it and forgotten about it. Uh, Blackburn and Chile forward Ben Brereton Diaz is likely to stay at Ewood Park this January and keep his options open for a free transfer move in the summer. For his, From his point of view, it's probably the smart thing to do. Because if you get them up, you could absolutely rinse them. Or you could command a bigger salary elsewhere. And even if you don't bring them up, you're still going to get a, a good wedge somewhere. Uh, folks, that'll do me for today. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.